0: This morning, we want to look at the image of the church being described as the body of Christ. Now, two weeks ago, for those of you who are here with us, we looked at how the church is described as the bride of Christ. That Jesus Christ, in a sense, has proposed to the church that he has said, you are the one that I want to ride off into the sunset of happily ever after with. And we get to play a part in that. That Jesus Christ passionately loves his church, and so we're calling each other to passionately love the church as well. Now, this week, we want to deal with a picture of the church being the body of Christ, and for most of you, this is not a new concept. It's one that you have heard if you spent any kind of significant time in Christian circles. In doing this, we want to focus our time this morning on just one simple verse, it's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to join me or you're in that Bible or on your favorite Bible app in the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And so as you're opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, let me just say this. Jesus Christ is alive and well today. That Christ's power is active in the world today. And get this, whatever Christ is doing in the world today, he is doing through the church. It is the center and the primary channel uh, for his earthly activity. And that's why this image of the body of Christ has become so significant to us. If Jesus Christ is touching the poor... He is touching the poor through the hands of the church. Unless, of course, the the church drops the ball and some other Christian institution has to do it. If he is embracing the orphan, it's through the church. If he is transforming the culture with the gospel, it is through the church. If he is holding back the kingdom of darkness with his blazing kingdom of light, he is doing it through the church. His body is the means by which he is accomplishing his purposes here on this earth. And that is profound. That is exciting. My goal this morning is to encourage you to reevaluate your view of the church, particularly of the local church. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read this verse. We're going to break it down into phrases, talk about it a little bit. And then hopefully draw some relevant application for those of us who are here and a part of the church this morning. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. He's talking about Jesus Christ being the head of the church. And here is what he says. From whom? From Jesus. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's make a few preliminary observations as we enter into this passage here. So here's the first thing. The Apostle Paul does not accidentally construct this sentence. He is very intentional, he is very purposeful as he writes this sentence the way that he does. And what he is doing is he's writing this sentence in order of priority, in order of importance. And so what we see him doing is first he talks about the head, and then he talks about the whole body, and then he talks about the parts of the body. Because that is the order in which we ought to think about the church. And so he says, from whom. And the whom that's being referred to here is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, Jesus Christ is the head out of which the body called the church flows. He is the source of whatever life stuff is in the church. Over the last couple of months, uh, we have been quoting Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 quite a bit because of Vacation Bible School, because of uh, even Sunday School starting up now. And so, uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That because of our connection to Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need. That He is the one who gives the church what it needs to grow up in maturity and grow out in effectiveness, which is the goal of the church. Christ is the source of the church. But this is also implying that He is the star of the church. That He is the mega, super, mega star of the church. When it's all said and done, Ephesians chapter 1 says, It is all about His glory. It is all about Him. He is the source. He is completely dependent, or we are completely dependent upon Him. He is the star. We are completely here for His glory. When I was younger, um, because my dad was a dairy farmer, we milked cows twice a day. And usually we weren't able then to take family vacations. And if we did, the family vacations were pretty short. And we certainly didn't go very far from the farm because if anything happened, we had to come back and make sure that things did get taken care of. But I remember on two separate occasions traveling by car with my family to Niagara Falls in Ontario, Canada, one of the top tourist destinations in the world, a captivating spectacle. These falls are breathtaking in their power, breathtaking in their beauty, a sight to behold. At particular times of the day, this incredible curtain of water becomes a screen, becomes a backdrop for the most beautifully spectacular rainbow shows on the continent. It's just incredible. Now... I know that Niagara Falls is part of the Niagara River, but if you were to pull me aside and if you were to ask me what the source of the Niagara River was or is, what it flows out of, I would probably have to think about it a little bit. I'd probably scratch my head and have to admit to you, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I may have known at one time, I may have been told at one time that, the, that where the Niagara River flows out of, but I really don't remember what it was. All I know is that Niagara Falls is spectacular. It is powerful. It makes a lot of fun, cool noises. I am clearly more enamored by the spectacle than I am by its source. Don't get me wrong. The church of Jesus Christ is the single most spectacular entity in all of creation. It is the screen upon which Jesus Christ is casting vivid images of his glory, his splendor, his wisdom. Not only for the world, but also for the celestial beings. For the evil minions who would peer in on the affairs of men, Not only to see, but to stand in awe. The church is the greatest supernatural wonder in the universe, but if we ever scratch our heads, pause, and ponder when asked where our source is, we have begun a dangerous self-decapitation, a spiral towards ineffectiveness and idolatry because we have now dared to define the church from the neck down. From the youngest to the oldest person in this church, it must be made very clear that we are here for His glory. No no one should ever think that we are here because it's somehow about the music or it's about the nice people or it's about uh, all of our friends or it's about the preaching or something like that. No, it is about the head, Jesus Christ. It is about His agenda. It is about His glory in the church. When we here at St. Paul's Bible Church say that we exist because we love Jesus, because we want to bring glory and honor to Him, we don't want that to just be vain and empty utterances that are just meaningless words coming out of our mouths. We want to give everything that we have. We want to expend ourselves in showing Him as the star of the show. He is the head. We are the body. It is all about Him. Are you okay with that? Paul appropriately starts with Christ because he is the source we ought to be enamored with. Without him there is no such spectacle as the church. And I pray that this body will become increasingly obsessed with the glory and the renown of our risen head from the leadership on down. Paul goes on and he says, from whom, the whole body, from Jesus Christ the head, comes this living entity, this living organism, this body called the church. Now this phrase, the whole body, is interesting and I want to just make a couple of observations here about this. Here's the first. When the New Testament talks about the church being the body of Christ, it almost always is referring to the local church. The local community of believers with appointed leaders serving in their biblical roles. The New Testament almost never uses the term the body of Christ to speak of the universal church. All of the believers in the world. It never refers to the body of Christ as some random gathering of believers someplace in this world. And this is really important here to understand this today because there is this growing ideology that has been around for many years that suddenly is devaluing the significance of the local church. And it sounds something like this. Listen, you know, we're all a part of the universal church and so... Uh, why not gather together as believers and we're going to call ourselves the body of Christ? I mean, after all, the, these organized churches, these, uh, they're so political, they're so polarizing, they're so um, institutionalized. Why don't we just get rid of all of those things that have to do with the local church and let's just hang out as Christians? But that's not the body of Christ. It's interesting that Paul says, what Paul says when he writes here, or writes to the letter, his letter to Titus. Later on, he says, "Listen, Titus, I understand that there's this group of believers who are meeting together over there in Crete, and you know what? That's great, Titus. I'm really excited about that. But I want you to stay there until the work is done. Well, what work are you talking about, Paul? Well, it's the work of establishing the church by doing what?" By appointing leaders who will make sure that the agenda of the head is being carried out. If I have a group of Christian friends over to my house, like I did this past week, for a barbecue, and we even prayed together. Now, we may be a part of the church, but we are not the body of Christ. We are just an expression of it. Here's a second observation about this idea of the whole body when the new testament talks about the body of christ it is primarily interested in the whole thing the whole body not the parts that make up the body but the whole thing and and that's very important here in ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 paul's referring to the church as the whole body or better yet he's referring to the church as the body whole now Believe it or not, there is a very significant significant difference in understanding that the the whole body, or better yet, the body whole. Let let's pretend for a second. You know what? It's fall, and one of the things that me and my family love to do is we love to go apple picking, and so we'll take a day or part of a day, and we usually go out to this orchard in Indiana. And we, we, they not only have apples, but they have berries and, and vegetables as well. But we're there for the apples. And so we go, we get to this farm, and they have these wagons that are pulled by tractors. And you get onto one of those wagons, and they pull that wagon out into the apple orchard. And they drop you off, and you get to pick as many apples as you want. If you want to eat apples out there in the middle of the field, you go, and you eat apples out in the middle of the orchard. Put all your apples into a bag, all the ones that you want to take home with you. you get back on that tractor, that wagon. They, they they pick you up. They take you back to your car. You, you have to, You pay for your apples before you go. But you know what? We look forward every fall to doing just that. Well, today I brought with me an apple. And I want you to imagine for a moment. What if I came to you and I showed you this apple and I said, you know what? I'll bet you $5,000 that I could eat this whole apple. Now, I haven't eaten breakfast this morning. It's getting close to lunch and I'm starting to get a little hungry. If I said to you, I bet you $5,000 that I could eat this whole apple, how many of you would actually take that bet? You know, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm a grown man. Eating a whole apple like this would really be nothing. In fact, I could probably eat three or four of these with no problem at all. And so if you took this bet that I laid out there, you would lose. I would just take a few bites of this apple and it would pretty much be gone in a matter of minutes. This apple would not last very long. But... If, on the other hand, I came to you and I said, you know what, okay, I bet you $5,000, not that I can eat this whole apple, but that I can eat this apple whole. That's a very different thing, right? I I mean, I'm sure that a lot of you would like to take that bet. I I mean, sure, maybe I have a, a big mouth, but this would be easy money. There's no way that I could take this whole apple and in one bite just consume it all. Well, in this verse, the focus is not on the little itty-bitty pieces that make up the whole thing. Instead, what Paul is stressing here is the significance of the body whole, the, the whole church, the whole thing. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he's talking about the whole thing. He has given us, as the whole, the great commission. The whole church has been given the great commission. And this is very interesting because this casts out the spirit of individualism that has so possessed this era, this spirit of individualism that has seeped into the church that somehow it might just be all about me, right? Here's how it shows itself. Hey, listen, you know, spiritually speaking, I'm doing well. I don't know how the rest of you are doing, but I'm doing well. All I know is that, you know what, I'm sharing the gospel with my co-workers and in my community. I don't know how the rest of you are doing at sharing the gospel, but me, I'm a renegade evangelist. I fly alone. I share the gospel. Hey, you know, my marriage is doing well. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but, but I'm doing good. When we talk about the body of Christ... We have got to grow to become concerned with the well-being of the whole thing. The whole thing is always more important than the sum of its parts. Is that how you think of the church? Is your primary concern the well-being of the whole thing? Or are you just concerned about your own little bite-sized piece? Are you more concerned about that than you are about the whole thing? By the way, I'm convinced that the enemy prowls around looking for little bite-sized churches to prey upon. A bunch of impressive parts with no concern for the whole. Disunited, everybody doing their own thing, scattered away from each other. The enemy looks at all that and says, wow, this is good. I mean, this is going to be really easy to get them. This is going to be really easy to uh, pull them away and, and, and take care of them. Some of us need to come back back down to earth this morning. Some of us need to hear this. Some of us need to take a little bit of offense to this. It is not about you. It's about the glory of the head. And then it's about the well-being of the whole thing. Are you okay with that? Do you value the church as a whole? The Apostle Paul goes on, from whom, from him, our head, our source, the star, the whole body emerges, and it's joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Paul now shifts the focus here. He begins talking about the individual parts of the body and how they contribute to the well-being of the whole. And here's what he is saying. When you become a believer and then you become a part of the church, you are spiritually and organically joined and fused together with the other members of the body. This body, the body of Christ, isn't just haphazardly thrown together. It is carefully woven and held together in a way that is not designed to be separated or severed. And when Paul uses this idea of supporting ligaments, he's saying that the body is held together by what it is that you bring to the table. In other words, the life of Jesus Christ, our head, is being poured into the whole body and it's being spread through the parts by what it is that you bring to the table. Do you get that? That that how Christ has made you is necessary for the body here to remain healthy as a whole. It is necessary. As each member remains connected to the body, it is held together and the body begins to experience heaven's nutrients and you can see it grow. I want you to think about the people around you once, the people who are sitting next to you, the people here in this sanctuary, here in this room. These people are the glue that keeps the whole body intact. Each and every one of us is necessary for the well-being of the whole thing. And as hard as this may be for some of us to wrap our minds around, it is incredible to think that there is no individual who can experience the fullness of who Christ is or what he has poured out into the church unless we are living in this vital connection to the body. You can say whatever you want. Look, you know what? I'm just going to go off by myself and do my own thing. I mean, I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to grow by myself. I'm going to encounter Jesus personally by myself. I don't need you. Well, you know what? I'm sorry to be the one to break this to you, but that's not how it's going to happen. That he has fused us together and we just cannot sever ourselves from each other. We can't just separate ourselves from each other and expect that the nutrients of heaven are going to somehow flow through us. We need each other. We are stuck together. This is not a gathering of autonomous individuals. It is a mutually dependent community. And we would be nuts to try and separate or sever ourselves from each other. I want you to think about how crazy this would be. If I came to you and I asked you to just cut off your arm. You know, you might say, well, Jason, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with my arm. My arm is working perfectly fine cut it off anyway it's not that important it's just your left arm i mean you're right-handed and you don't really use your left arm anyways all that much yeah but jason i mean what about all the blood and i i mean it could be it could get really messy and won't it hurt i mean what if something goes wrong and i bleed to death or something and i say to you all you know what don't worry about all that i mean I'm right here to support you. I'll make sure that if anything goes wrong, I'll I'll help you out. I'll call 911 and, and you'll be okay. Now, can you imagine doing something as ridiculous as actually dismembering your body? Can you imagine a person just going and grabbing a meat cleaver and chopping off their arm? I mean, we cringe at the thought, and rightly so. And yet... We think nothing of believers who distance themselves, who disconnect themselves from the church. Do you know that a good number of us attend church service and then we kind of just vanish off into the distance? Not to emerge again till the next Sunday service. We have disconnected from the church. We have dismembered ourselves from the body and we think very little of it. And Paul is saying... We are vitally linked together. And the moment we disconnect or stand on the fringes, we put ourselves and the whole entire body in jeopardy. So interesting, this idea of being a part of the church, but never really connecting. I mean, the idea of kind of standing at a distance from the community of believers. You know, the New Testament church has this phrase for this. And do you know what that phrase is? They used to call it church discipline. Church discipline. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the Corinthian believers and he says to them, you know what, there's this guy in Corinth and he's doing the most absurd and sinful things over and over and over again. And he says, you know what, it's now come to this point where we have to think of the worst case scenario. And he tells the church, he says, you know what, I I know I'm not with you physically, but I'm with you in spirit. And when you get together, I want you guys to sever this guy from his connection with the body. I want you to put him outside of this church. I want you to expose him to Satan. Now, uh, Paul, in his thinking, he's thinking, you know what, this will be so terrifying for a believer. So much so that he will run back to the doors of the church and he'll say, please, please connect me again to the body. But for those of us here in 21st century America, we often think, well, you know what? I'm just going to disconnect myself. I mean, I'll just put myself on church discipline. And Paul's saying, you dare not sever these organically fused parts. We belong together. It's an amazing, amazing thought. It's not a take it or leave it proposition it's not that we just go to church together. It's not just that we, uh, that, that we uh, have this distant coexistence with each other. It's that we are inseparably fused. We belong together. And so I ask you this morning, are you connected? Are you plugged in? Are you performing some kind of dis- self-dismemberment with yourself? Are you developing meaningful relationships with the saints? Are you experiencing Christ more fully? Drinking in the holy sap of heaven as you connect with other believers? We need each other. We really do need each other. The Apostle Paul goes on and he adds this last phrase. He says that the church grows and builds itself up when each part is working properly. Now, I find this amazing because God could have said, you know what, he could have just gone, boom, the church is mature now. But that's not what he did. He said, you know what, I'm going to design things in such a way that the maturity of the church rests on, in many ways, each individual's willingness to do their work, to play their part. This is such a simple statement, but... I'm convinced that we need to be reminded of this over and over again. I know that I do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But He not only prepared us to do good works, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so he designed us to work and then he equipped us to actually do what it is that he called us to do. And Paul has already told the Ephesians that every Christian has been equipped to work. Every Christian has been designed to work. Every believer has a spiritual gift that is theirs to use in order to minister to the body. And that the body whole would grow into maturity. I want you to hear this loud and clear. There is no believer in all of history who is left out of getting a spiritual gift. There is no gift shortage And now Paul is saying, use your gift because the maturity of the church depends upon it. Why is it that so many of us don't use our gifts? Well, I think that there are a couple of reasons that come to my mind right away. There's probably more, but there's at least two reasons that believers don't use their spiritual gift for the maturing of the church. I think one reason might be ignorance. Now, I'm not talking about that, that people are ignorant people or that they're rude or inconsiderate or anything like that, but ignorant in the sense that people are just unaware. They, they simply don't know. If we were to pull people as they walked out of the church service uh, this morning, we asked people to be honest and we said, you know what, do you believe that you have been given a spiritual gift that you can use for the sake of the church? I think that probably most people would say, yeah absolutely well what is it i don't know but i know that the football game is on and i gotta get to that my suspicion is that a number of us would say you know what i have no idea i don't i don't know what my gift is no one ever showed me no one ever told me what it was Or maybe some people might even say, you know what, I look around and all these other people, they obviously have these gifts. They know what their gifts are. It's clear that they have gifts, but I'm not really sure if I have a gift. Or maybe other people might say, spiritual gifts, I mean, what are those? I mean, I've never really been good at anything. Are you telling me that somehow there is a use for a person like me in the cosmic agenda of Jesus Christ? And I'm saying, along with the the Apostle Paul, that's exactly right. That's exactly the way it is. Brothers, sisters, you have God's divine grace gift. A necessary part to play in God's cosmic agenda. And now Paul is saying, are you playing your part? Ignorance might be one reason. Another reason, a more tragic reason, I think, is just indifference. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As each has received a gift. Again, the assumption here is that every believer has a spiritual gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's sad to think that many people, for whatever reason, have given themselves over to indifference. I know the area where God has gifted me, but you know what? I just don't feel like using it. And for some, it may be that you've been burned by the church. You know, you say, well, you know what? I worked and worked and worked for the church, and they just kept giving me more and more things to do, just giving me more work to do. You know what? I never got a simple thank you after all of these years of service. Guess what? I'm done. I'm out. Well, if that is you this morning, I want to tell you very clearly and plainly here. The greatest applause is yet to come and it will resound through the universe. Well done. Well done. I have to work to provide for my family. I mean, you know how things are. Sorry, I just don't have any time for this body of Christ stuff. And many of us hear that and we say, yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, no, not cool. you know what? That's like saying, I, I I don't really have any use for this arm. It's not all that. It's not all that valuable. I'm just gonna go cut it off. Okay, that's cool. Just cut your arm right off. No big deal. <laughs> My friends. I mean, what are they gonna think? They're gonna think how weird I am because I spent all of this time. I'm spending too much time around the church. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? You know, this is a high calling. It is a great privilege. It is a compelling obligation. For some of you, maybe you've, heard, uh, maybe you've never heard anybody say this to you before. And so I want to say this very loud. And I want to say it very clear. We need you. We need you. And regardless of how you think of yourself, we need you. Without you, something of our maturing is going to be stifled. We need you. I I don't know how many teams you didn't make because people said that you just weren't good enough. I don't know how many groups you didn't fit into because someone said, you know what, you're just not cool enough. I don't know how many jobs you got passed over for or didn't get because somebody said you didn't qualify enough. You weren't qualified. Well, here in the church, it doesn't matter. Here in the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot do this. We cannot do church the way that God has designed us to do without you. We need you. As we draw our time to a close this morning, I just want to say this. Many people in our society today are experiencing this profound identity crisis. And a lot of it is coming because when we talk to them, they'll say things like, you know, I I just don't know what my purpose in life is. And it's interesting because uh, most of the superstars and even the musicians who fill these big concert venues and make all sorts of money and live this incredible life, if you read their lyrics, if you listen to what it is that they're saying, they're saying the exact same thing. I I don't know what my life is going to amount to. I mean, could it possibly be that I could mark history some way? I I I don't know what it is. I mean, and so I'm going to change majors every three months and I'm going to try this job out for a little bit, but then I'll quit it and I'm going to try something else and then I'm going to try another job and a little bit after that because at some point here, I'm going to try to figure out is there some way that I can mark history? Please hear me out. You will never find the truest sense of who you are designed to be by standing away from the church you will find it by immersing yourself in the church. If you're here today and you're asking, well, what am I meant to do with my life? What is God's purpose for me? I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying that I know everything. I have all the answers. But I suspect, that if you start by plugging into the church, if, if you start by discovering what your gift is and then trying to use that in the body of Christ, your purpose in life is going to become very clear to you. You can be certain of this. You are a member of the body of Christ before you are an employee of your company. I am a member of the body of Christ before I am a husband to my wife. I mean, in fact, that's why Paul says to husbands, he says, you're to love your wife remembering who you are, remembering whose you are. I'm saying, come to the doors of the church, plug in, start to discover what it is that your portion to give, what it is that's your part to play. Our passion ought to be the maturing of the church And its growth into the fullness of all that God intended it to be. When you plug into the church, it becomes more mature, and that will change the community in which we live. It'll revolutionize the neighborhood around us, it'll transform this city, and Christ's agenda will be spread throughout the earth. A a healthy church cannot help but to minister to the community around us. At the same time, the church cannot be healthy unless all of its members are plugged in. You know, we need each other. We need you. Let's pray.